It's a very auspicious day to start the second chalak of the Kazari. Today has a name in halacha. It's called the Yama Miyuchas. We know that Rishchaydash Sivanot Rishchaydash, I'll be dancing Tachadon. From tomorrow, we start the three days of preparation for Matan Torah, we call the Shlashi Magbala. But we have in between the second of Sivan. And the post can bring, we don't say Tachanon on the second of Sivan either, that's tomorrow. Why? It's called Yama Miyuchas. Yama Miyuchas is the day that Klai Yishol said Nasi Venishma. And if you follow the chronology of the Torah, on Rosh Chodesh, they arrived in Midbar Sinai. That same day, Moshe goes up to Har. Hashem tells him to offer the Jewish people the Torah. Moshe comes down the next morning, which is the morning of the second of Sivan. In other words, tomorrow morning. He offers the Jewish people the Torah and they say Nasi Venishma. And that gets a special distinction, as you know, the mind of saying Nasi Venishma. Now, why it's specifically appropriate to talk about it tonight is because, as we know, Nasi Venishma was Kaisal's commitment to keep the Torah. Whatever Hashem would tell them they would do. The first passage says, Kaisal Shadibra Hashem Naisa. And we're going to see how that played out now in the second memoir with the story of the Kuzari. We finished, like we saw in the previous year, we finished the discussion about the principles of Imunah. And the Khazari is convinced. The king is convinced. So next, we're going to see in the beginning of the Maimar Hashani, a narrative of what happens, what the king did, having now, so to speak, been convinced that Torah is the Amasa religion. And it says like this, What happened next to the king of the Khazari, what we know from the Sfarim about this country called Khazar, until now, the king hadn't told anyone in his country about his dream or about his quest to look for the real religion. Now that he's convinced by the Chacham of Yiddishkeit, so he tells one person, he tells the general of his army, and about the dream which occurred to a number of times that he should find the way to serve Hashem, which Hashem would want. And they went, the two of them, to a place called Hari Harasan, and the king and the general, they, took, they went together, the two of them, to the, these mountains, which is on the, the desert next to the sea. Um, we know geographically uh, where Kuzar was then, and where Kazakhstan is today, is basically one side of it, is borders on the Black Sea. So obviously there was an area by the sea where the two of them went to. They used to go at night to a certain cave there. There were Yidin who used to go there every Shabbos, and they used to come and join them every week for Shabbos. And that's where the king and his general learned about the halachas, and they accepted the Torah, and then after that, they came back to their country, which means the country of the Khazarim is Jews, but at the beginning they didn't tell the rest of the citizens. They hid it from everybody else. Slowly, slowly, they brought more people that they could trust into the secret. Until there were many of the inner circle who had known about it and had also accepted Yiddishkeit. Until afterwards, there were enough of them to, so to speak, dictate that the rest of the, the country, the rest of the citizens of Kuzar should also become Jews. So how did they do that? They brought Chachamim from all different countries 
in trying to talk about a very big campaign to try and convert the whole country. So they brought Chachamim and Sfarim from all the countries around to teach them Torah. And now, what is the result of that? So we know that the country all converted, the people of the country all converted. And how did Hashem relate to them? And they were successful, they managed to conquer surrounding countries. They found hidden treasures. The army reached hundreds of thousands of soldiers. And even though they were successful, they kept up their dedication to Torah and the longing for the base of Mikdash. Which he hasn't spoken about it. We'll see that in the next uh, shahar. They built themselves the model of the Mishkan, not to avoid it. That's also, but at least to have a, a symbol of the Mishkan. These to invite in Jewish visitors to teach them. Okay, so that's the the background of what happened. This is all corroborated, by the way, as if you look in some of the prints of the Kazari, at the beginning of the Sefer, they have a letter which is written by Rechistai ibn Shaprut, who was the foreign minister of Castile at the time. Um, we're talking about the 1000s, the beginning of that millennia. And he wrote to Yosef, the king of the Khazarim, saying, I heard about you and that you're keeping the Torah. And if you want to know more, please let me know. And the king of Khazarim, who wasn't the original king converted, at that stage was already his grandson. And he writes back to Rechistai ibn Shaprut, and if you look at the beginning of the Sefer, that's not going to do it now, but he writes about five pages describing to him the lifestyle of the country of Khazari, exactly where it is, and exactly this point. There he says over the story, remember he's talking as a grandson of the king that it happened to. So I'm just going to quote, not the whole letter, but two or three pertinent points just to corroborate what Rabbi Levi said to I mean, it's not a Chiddush. That's where Rabbi Levi knew about it from. He had the letter that was written to Rav Chistai ibn Chaprut, who was then two generations before him, and therefore he quotes it when he says what he knows that happened to the country of Khazari. So when the the grandson is talking about his grandfather's dream, so he says exactly the same thing we have over here. And he says, <laughs> When the king desired to convert, so the Malach comes and tells him, I've heard, I've seen what you're doing, and the Kodesh Baruch is happy with it. You know that my, the thoughts of my heart, that I'm trusting you. The king says to the Malach that I trust in you, and I've converted to Yiddishkeit, but I don't know the people of my country who are not believers, what they're going to do if they find out about it. So what happened was, he changed the story a little bit. He says he asks the Malach to appear to his ministers in the dream also. So they should also know about what he knows about. When the Sar, that's the Sar itself, which is mentioned here, the general, wakes up in the morning. He comes to tell the king, he had this amazing dream he had last night. So he told them he had the same dream as this minister had had, and they were both uh, impressed by this. And uh, 
that when they heard it from two sources, now that they accepted it, and they also decided to convert. That's the first point. So this idea that he, they had the the Sarah Silva came into the into the story that the, Yosef, the grandson of the original king, tells us that the way it was is because he asked the man to appear to him also. And then he tells the story of what he says here that he was successful in battle, and he says, He fought against the surrounding countries. He returned, returned in peace. The original king built this replica of the Mishkan, like he said, and the grandson saying, I still have it. We still have it in, in the land of the Khazarim. He became famous as king of the Khazarim, as the king of Persia, as the king of the Arabs at the time. They sent him gifts and lots of money. And he brought the the people from these two countries, Pras and Yishmael, and he contradicted their religions. Like we saw here also, that the Ba'as brought at the beginning, that the Chacham of the Nitzrim and the Chacham of the Ishmaelim. And he disproved them. And... He goes on to talk about that Kodesh Baruch gave him peace from his enemies and he's very successful. So exactly what the Chacham says over here, the, we have, a, we have this, the letter written by the grandson of this king who basically says the same thing. Now there's two philosophical, besides the historical narrative, which is interesting, there's two philosophical questions here, which is uh, something interesting to discuss. And that is that we see an interesting thing. The idea that the king decided to Megayar because he felt that was the right thing to do, we understand. The idea that maybe, let's say, the, his circle of close advisors, either he convinced or they were also given the stream, and they convinced, we can also understand. But it seems like that in order to convert the rest of the population, he had to issue, issue a royal edict. It wasn't like everybody came forward uh, to convert on their own. And here we come to the question about forced conversion. In other words, Bukhlaishal, as you saw here in the Kazari himself, he said, we're not trying to convert all the guy. So it could be that as the king, he decided that he doesn't want internal uh, revolutions, whatever it's going to be, and that's why he wants the whole country to convert. But the shayla is, what, what validity in halakha does that have? That uh, a king who decides to convert can now force all his, all his subjects to convert as well. And it's an interesting thing because we, even though we don't have this example in the halakha, we have something similar. We have something similar of kings who converted, and uh, the question is, what's the status of the converts of the country who they want to bring along with them? Right? There's two historical precedents for this. The one was an, a, maybe a sect, a tribe, I don't know what you call them, a really nation, called the Edomians in the time of the second base of Megdash. And they also originally, the, the leaders, um, the king and the queen of basically converted. We know them by their names after conversion. We call them Helni Amalka and Munbaza Melech. Um, the commission talks about them a few times, and actually Beshavach. It praises their dedication, it praises their generosity, it praises their commitment to Torah. But they were, she really started, it was a mother and a son. Queen Helni was the mother of King Munbaz. And uh, so the, where was she the queen of? A, nation, a sect, a nation, tribe, whatever you want to call them, called the Edomians. And when she converted, so it seems like she tried to convert the whole nation with her. 
Right? Later on, she left him and she came to Yerushalayim, like the Mishnah says in Seches Nazir. But at least at the beginning, she tried to convert this whole group of people. And there also we have the question, if one not converts, and then the, and the decree that the whole country has to convert as well, what's the validity of such a, of such a conversion? That's the first question. The, the second interesting point here, and that is that it seems that when they joined Klai Yisrael, so even though they, weren't, they didn't begin as Yidin, but once they become Gerim, so the same Hanhog which applies to the Jewish people applies to them as well. Which means Hashem promises us, Klai Yisrael, the Torah, that if you keep the Torah, then Hashem will fight your wars for you, and you'll be successful in battle, and you'll be wealthy, and you'll be respected. We just heard it last week, all the brachas of the Torah. And now we see it doesn't have to apply to the Jewish people as a whole. It can even apply to converts who accept Yiddishkeit, but if they're going with Derech HaTorah, Hashem will provide the same for them. And therefore, like we saw both in the Ravira Levi's account of their success and in Yosef the king, who was a grandson of the original king, uh, of Kuzari's account of their success, it was in return. It was because they kept the Torah. Then HaKadosh Baruch gave them success in battle, success financially, whatever it was. In other words, this bris, so to speak, that comes with keeping the Torah, seems to be open to ever keep the Torah, which is a big Kiddush. Okay, so let's talk about these points. What's the halachic rights of a king to decree that his servants have to convert? So we don't have the halach about kings, but we do have the halach about avodim. Right? What's the halach of an evet? If I buy an evet knani, he starts with a guy. And I want to make him into an evet. Can I decree on him, force him to accept Torah mitzvahs? It's a machlokis in the Mishnah. It's a machlokis in the Gemara in, in Gittin. Now, we're passing like the shit to the of Rabbi Akiva. It says, I can try and convince him for 12 months. Magalgalim ayyud beis chodesh. And if I haven't managed to convince him by that stage, then I have to let him go. In other words, I can't forcibly convert somebody. I can try and convince him, but I can't force him. The other case where this comes up in the Torah, which is also interesting, is the case of the Yifastaya. The case of Yifastaya is a, a, a non-Jewish woman who was conquered in battle, who was captured, and a Jew wants to marry her, and therefore he has to leave her for a month, so to speak, to mourn for her parents and to get used to the idea of becoming a Jew. And at the end of the month, now, does she have to want to accept Judaism? In which case he can beguile her, even though he didn't maybe originally want to do that, but he can now beguile her and marry her. What happens if she doesn't want to accept Yiddishkeit? Can he forcibly beguile her and marry her? And this is also a machlokis, not just Rishonim, it's machlokis before the Rishonim, it's machlokis of the same nature. Just like by the Gare. In other words, can we forcibly convert people? Right? Even though we, we own them, we conquered them, we bought them as slaves, as Yifastorias, as captives, whatever it's going to be, right? Is there such a possibility or not? There's no such thing. Right? It's a, Gerekotten, no. Gerekotten is Zachin, and therefore it's a different Svar. We're not forcing anybody, we're doing what's best for him. And if he tells us it's not best for him when he grows up, then we love a guy, then he undoes the Gerus. Right here we're talking about the Evid, no one's talking about Zachin or not Zachin. Here we're saying, do I have the right as an owner to force my Evid to a guy? And, um, like I said, it seems like, even though it's a Halachil Amaisa, but it seems at least where the Rambam learns, that you can't force someone to become a Ger, you can try and convince them to become a Ger, and, but uh, if at the end of the day they refuse, then you have to free them. You can't if that's the case, when it comes to the story of the Kuzar, of the people of Kuzar, right, we have to explain, even at this point, isn't clear. Not in Rabbi Levi's narrative of the story, and not in the, the grandson of Yosef, the Yosef the king's narrative of the story, that even if the king made the country convert, it wasn't by force. It wasn't like he sent soldiers around to forcibly convert people. Right? There was a certain, uh, maybe, group decision once the king and the ministers, or whoever he calls the, the, his ancient school and the people close to him converted, that everyone else was convinced to or felt it was the right thing to do. However, man, however managed to do that. But uh, to forcibly convert people, the Chorah wouldn't work. Now, once again, 
Let's explain why. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, and it's, it's by Mishra Kantiyash, what we said last night. And that is, that as opposed to um, forcible conversions, which what every other religion has always tried to do, right, uh, in whatever way they can, because as far as they're concerned, as long as somebody has been through whatever they call the conversion process, okay, now he's a member of that religion. Right? Whereas when it comes to Torah, when it comes to Yiddishkeit, the main point of the conversion isn't the actions. Not the bris, and not the tefillah, not the carbon, and there was a carbon. The main part is the Kabbalah's mitzvahs. Everything else is, is to enable the person, so to speak, to be roi after the Kabbalah mitzvahs. But the main point of the, of the miller, of the garris, is the Kabbalah's mitzvahs. And if there's no Kabbalah's mitzvahs, the garris doesn't work. So what's it to force somebody? It's in the category of things, the person say, right, Sani. And if he doesn't want to say, right, Sani, then you, it's not going to work. You're missing the ikka. It's not like if you're going to forcibly push someone into the mikvah or give them a bris, it's going to convert him. That, that's... That doesn't do the conversion. The conversion has to be from the point of right signing. Now, there's a, like we've seen many other times in the Torah, when it comes to the fact that a person has to do something on his own dice, right, a person can be convinced that he wants to do it. Right? And the, the, if that's the case, if a person would be convinced that he wants to do it, that would work. But it has to be with that, with that first point, and that is that he wants to. But here we come to an interesting question. Because the Rambam famous in the Gitten Perik base says in Halacha, that the only reason why Rotsiani works, he says, because Be'etzim, deep down, a Jew wants to do the right thing. And if that's the case, maybe his Yetzirah is getting in the way, and maybe his, uh, his, so to speak, his middles are interfering with him. So if we do enough to make it uh, a situation where the middles are working the other way around, and now it's not so convenient for him to object to what he's meant to do. So the Rotsiani is coming from a place that he really wants to do the right thing. That Ramam is the person who talks about this like, what has later on been named, like we call it the Pintalayit, that someone really thinks I want to do the right thing. It's just uh, whatever bad mid or whatever obstinacy or gaiv is going in the way. Okay, so we can work around that and eventually come back to the same point. But, if you're going with the Svar of the Rambam, it only works with somebody who was originally a Jew. Someone who's originally a Jew. Then we can say that the he wants to do the right thing, and now it's a problem, we have to bring it back to it. It's not going to work to Megayar somebody. Because then we don't have a starting point. And if that's the case, you're not going to go back to it, you really want to. And if that's the case, in both of these cases, you're going to have to say that even what we would say, we could try and force a person to want to come to the point of rights, and he's not going to work. And if that's the case, we have to, we, again, this point isn't clear in the story how he did it, but it's going to have to be that he managed to conv- he convinced the country to convert without resorting to means that, so even if it would be means to force them to say they want to do it, it would be that he convinced them in a way that they actually wanted to do it. Otherwise, the garrison wouldn't be hal. And we see the Geras was Chal, from the, from the second point we saw. We see if HaKadosh Baruch Hu treats them like Yidin, and he gives them the same conditions, so to speak, and on the contrary, he gives them success because they're keeping the Torah, and Hashem obviously considers them to be good Geras. If that's the case, it has to be that the Geras was a good Geras. So it has to be that they were convinced. I mean, there's more to talk about at this point, but the idea of, of, oh, the idea of a group acceptance is that's what happened to Klai Yisrael too. Right, except at that stage it wasn't yet through force. There wasn't yet that Nakud Pnimis that Klaishra had in the Shama they wanted to do the right thing. And if that's the case, the point that Klaishra had to accept the Torah was before Shim forced them. Or before they felt compelled to do it. It had to be they wanted to. And yes, the reason they wanted to is because altogether they wanted to keep the Torah as a group acceptance, but that works. Right? Klaishra all collectively wanted to keep the Torah, that's great. They all said nice of Nishman, that was the acceptance of Torah. Afterwards, like, for whatever reason, we said there was a concept of Kafir and Harakagigas. There was a certain way I should force them so that they have to keep the Torah. 
they had to come afterwards. The first point had to be the agreement to give the Torah, and that had to come from a point of Reitzani, that they wanted to do it without compulsion. And then if that's the case, even if it's a whole nation together, but they have the they have the starting point, which is the, the willingness to makabal Torah mitzvahs without being forced that they want to do it. If that's the case, that's the, that's the starting point of of makabal Torah. And we have to say the same thing happened by the, the country of Kuzar as well. And that is that even though maybe it wasn't what they had originally thought of doing, but when the king and the others the, his, of his ministers decided to open each other, they converted to Yiddishkeit, then they brought the rest of the country to the point where they also wanted to do it. They also wanted to do it. And then if that would be the case, the garrison would be a good garrison. One more point. And that is the, the story when the, the king obviously originally didn't want to tell everyone about this. It says he, he went privately, secretly to this cave where he met Yidden to teach him and to admire him. So obviously he wasn't so sure that the country would want to keep it, or that the fact that if he would keep it, he wasn't so sure that the country would accept it. And we have this in both letters. That he needed, uh, so to speak, a certain amount of his advisors or generals, whoever it was, to back him up. So it wasn't so partial that everybody automatically listened to what the king said. And because I, when, at whatever stage it was that they uh, publicized that they had decided to become hidden, we find that at that stage everybody agreed as well. However, they, we don't know how exactly he did that. But Lemay says, as a result of that, he was Magai everybody. He was Magai everybody before they learned. Before they learned. He says, afterwards, they brought in Chachamim from all over the country to teach everybody, which is, no, this we saw already before, that the basis of Gerus is the Rotten to Makabal. If a person is willing to Makabal Torah Mitzvah, that's good enough. Even if he doesn't know it yet. If later on he gets to, as long as later on he goes to learn, then whatever we meant to do, that's what we have to do. And that's what happens in the, in the case of the Khazari also. And now comes the next point. The second discussion we're going to have now between the Khazari and the Chacham is to understand Torah. And this is the interesting idea. The way Yehuda Alevi understood Naisiv and Nishma is that the Nishma's understanding of once we're doing it, what's the reasons for the Torah? What's the reasons for the Mitzvah? That's the second point. The basis of Ashkafa has to come first, the Imuna. That's what he had in the first Naima. That was enough thinking, he converts. Now he starts keeping the mitzvahs, now he starts having questions on the mitzvahs. And that's going to be the next time we're going to start, Be'ez Hashem, of the discussions of the king and uh, the Chacham about uh, the meanings or the nature of the various mitzvahs.